Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to the Pastor Study. For this half hour, we're going to learn lessons from the life of Barabbas. Barabbas was the thief whose neck was saved because Jesus took his place. And we're going to learn we're all Barabbas. All of us are saved only because Jesus took our place. So would you please take out your Bible, turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 27, and let's learn lessons for our, our lives from the life of Barabbas. Let's pray first. Father, we pray now as we open the Bible that you would open our ears, open our hearts, open my mouth, and speak to us now through what happened with Barabbas. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 27. Before we jump into the story, let me tell you what we know about Barabbas. It isn't much. We know that Barabbas was a robber from John chapter 18. We know that he was a murderer and a political outlaw from Mark chapter 15 and Luke chapter 23. And we learn from Matthew here in chapter 27, he was, quote, notorious. In other words, he was well known. And that's about all we know about Barabbas. Now here's the story. Matthew chapter 27, beginning at verse 15. Jesus is about to be killed here. Now at the feast, the governor, Pilate, was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, the people, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For Pilate knew that it was out of envy that they, the chief priests, had delivered Jesus up. Besides, while Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him in a dream today. Here's the first lesson from the Barabbas story. Take warnings to heart. His, Pilate's wife is trying to warn him, don't do this. I had a dream about this man. And you know, if you were to ask who are the greatest villains in human history, number one might be Judas, number two might be Pilate, three might be Hitler, four might be Stalin, five might be Mao, I don't know. But do you know that Pilate might not be the villain of history that he is if he'd have listened to his wife? You remember what God said to Abraham in the Old Testament? Abraham, listen to your wife. And man, maybe your wife is trying to warn you about something, but you just can't hear her. Or maybe wife, your husband is trying to warn you. Do you listen to warnings that people give in your life? Uh, you want to do that because you don't want to end up like Pilate. Look at verse 20. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to destroy Jesus. The governor Pilate again said to them, which of these two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Here's the next lesson. The multitude is normally wrong. The crowd wants Jesus to be killed. 
Here is a fairly recent Gallup poll now of what Americans believe. This is devastating. This is not the America I grew up in. 66% of Americans believe sex outside of marriage is fine. 65% of Americans think it's okay to destroy human embryos for research. 58% of Americans believe having a baby outside of marriage is fine. 58% of Americans now, this is a real change, believe homosexual behavior is fine. Well, the crowd is wrong. The Bible says sex outside of marriage is a sin, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. When's the last time you heard on TV that sex outside of marriage is a sin? I think I know. Way back in the 1970s, there was a TV show called Rhoda. In one of the episodes, Rhoda's mother walks into Rhoda in bed with her boyfriend. And Rhoda says, well, Ma, what's wrong with it? This is the 1970s. And Rhoda's mother says, but Rhoda, it's a sin before God. And that line got a huge laugh. And I knew America is in trouble. The crowd is normally wrong. Look at verse 22. The governor said to the crowd, Which of the two shall I release for you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, but why, what evil has he done? They all shouted all the more, let him be crucified. Here's the next lesson. To destroy Jesus is to destroy yourself. Do you know what happened to the children that are yelling crucify him? In 70 AD, the Romans came in, slaughtered, butchered the Jews, totally destroyed Jerusalem. And it drew, the Jews were never a nation again until 1948 after World War II. That was God's punishment on what they did to his son. And if you destroy Jesus, you're destroying yourself, which leads to the question, is America destroying itself? Are we going to kick God out of absolutely everything in our culture? Okay, well, some of the liberals in our government want to force the Catholics to pay for contraceptives, force people to do abortions, force people to do gay marriages, or they'll take away, they'll, they'll fine you so heavy you, you lose your bakery or your florist shop. You can do that. You can try to stamp Christianity out of your culture, but then you're going to get what you get. Have you noticed all the violence now in America? Let's look at verse 26. Then Pilate released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, Pilate delivered Jesus up to be crucified. Here's the next lesson. Fear God, not man. Pilate's problem is he fears the crowd instead of fearing God and what God had told his wife in a dream. I want to show you John Wesley's diary. John Wesley founded the Methodist Church in the 1700s in England. People hated Wesley because people were getting saved and leaving the Church of England for the Methodist Church. And I mean, they would beat him up in one town and he'd get up and move on to the next. Let me read to you one thing from John Wesley's diary. October 20th, 1743. A mob came and I was in their hands. 
To attempt speaking was in vain, for the noise was on every side like the roaring of the sea. So they dragged me along till we came to the town, where, seeing an open door of a large house, I attempted to go in, but a man grabbed me by the hair, pulled me back into the middle of the mob. I asked, Are you willing to hear me speak? Many cried out, No, no, knock his brains out, kill him at once. Others said, Nay, but we will hear him first. I began asking, What evil have I done? Which of all of you have I wronged in word or deed? Floods began to lift up their voice again, many crying out, Bring him away, bring him away. I broke aloud into prayer. And now the man who just before headed the mob turned and said, Sir, I will spend my life for you. Follow me, and not one soul here shall touch a hair of your head. Finally, God brought me safe to town, I having lost only one flap of my waistcoat and a little skin from one of my hands. And I mean, you read this, and over and over again, John Wesley gets beaten up, and he just gets up again and keeps preaching. (laughs) Who are you more like? John Wesley, who did not fear the crowd, or Pilate, who feared the crowd? In Westminster Abbey in England, there's an epitaph on a stone that says, Here lies Lord Lawrence. He feared man so little because he feared God so much. So my question for you is this. Do you fear men or do you fear God? A young violinist got on stage to perform. He does his first number. It was wonderful. People wildly applauded but you could tell by his face he was not pleased. He does his second number. Again, it was powerful. Everybody applauds. But again, he wasn't pleased with himself. He does his third and final number. It was so good, people jumped to their feet, gave him a standing ovation. But the whole time, the young man's eyes are up in the balcony. And finally, he sees an old, white-haired man go, and the young man's face burst with joy. He didn't care about the approval of the crowd. He wanted the nod of his maestro. You and I need to learn not to be Pilate, not to care so much what people think about us. What we want, what we care about, is the nod of the maestro. Back in 370 AD, Ambrose was bishop of Milan, Italy. The emperor of the Roman Empire was Theodosius, who killed 7,000 people in Thessalonica, a terrible slaughter. At that point, Bishop Ambrose excommunicated the emperor of the Roman Empire and said, Theodosius, you cannot enter this cathedral. You cannot take communion until you publicly repent. Well, on Christmas Day, the emperor comes toward the cathedral with a legion of soldiers. He's going to force his way into the cathedral. Ambrose stands in front of the cathedral door and again says, you don't enter here until you publicly repent of what you've done. There's a famous painting of this, and what happened in history was the the emperor of the Roman Empire got on his face before Ambrose publicly repented on Christmas Day. The emperor led him into the cathedral, and he took communion again. (laughs) Again, my question is, who are you more like? Pilate, who cares too much of what people think of him, or are you like Wesley? Are you like St. Ambrose in, I don't care, emperor, if you do kill me. I don't care if you're the emperor of the Roman Empire. You're not taking communion as long as you've done what you've done. Ambrose feared God more than he feared men. In 
the year 1900, the Boxer Rebellion took place in China. Many Christians were killed for their faith. There is a story that in 1900, the soldiers surrounded a Christian mission school, told all the people inside, we placed a cross on the lawn in front of the door. If you will trample on the cross and renounce Christ as you leave, you can go home. If you walk around the cross, you will be shot. Story goes that one boy came out, trampled on the cross, went home. The next peop six people trampled on the cross. The seventh person out of the door was a little girl who bent down, kissed the cross, walked around it. And the people behind her followed her example, and they were all killed. What I learned from this story of Barabbas and Pilate's big mistake, God help me not care so much what people think of me or what they can do. Help me look for the knot of my mastro and that alone. One last lesson from the story of Barabbas, and here it is. Barabbas is a picture of the substitutionary atonement of Christ. Let me explain what that means. Jesus took Barabbas' place so Barabbas could go free. Let me explain the substitutionary atonement. I guess this happened in England many years ago. A line of people is waiting for one of those double-decker buses. And everybody in line gets on the bus, except there's, all the seats are full, and there's, not, there's one man who just gets on board for whom there is no seat. And the bus driver says, sorry, but the rule is you have to have a seat. We don't let people stand now in buses. You have to sit down. The man said, I'm not sitting down. My wife and children are on the top deck, and I'm not getting off. And the bus driver says, well, I'm not moving this bus. And a, quite a heated argument takes place. A man by the name of Harold St. John stood up and said, well, you're both right. Bus driver, you're just following the rules of, of your profession. And sir, you, you're following the rule of common humanity that you don't separate a wife and his children. So I'll tell you what, and he said this to the whole bus. I will get up and give you my place, and I'll get off and take the next bus. Then he turns to the people on bus, and before I leave, I just need to say, this is what the Lord Jesus did for each one of us. He went to the cross, he took our place, to paid for our sins so that we could have a seat in heaven. <laughs> And as he got off the bus, the bus driver was heard to say, he's a kind bloke, ain't he? <laughs> the, the story of Barabbas is that you and I are Barabbas. We deserve to be hung. Jesus steps in our place on the cross, takes our punishment for us so that we can be saved. That is what we learn from Barabbas. Quickly to review, number one, we learn that... We need to take warnings to heart. Number two, the multitude is normally wrong. Number three, to destroy Jesus is to destroy yourself. Number four, fear God, not man. And number five, Jesus is a picture, excuse me, Barabbas is a picture of the substitutionary opponent of Christ. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, is it proper to say that the Jews killed Christ? 
It is proper to say that the Jews killed Christ. It's proper to say that the Romans killed Christ, that Pilate killed Christ, that the chief priests of the Jews. It's proper to say that you killed Christ with your sin. I killed Christ with my sin. So it's proper to say everybody killed Christ. But Jackie, just to kind of throw a wrench into the whole thing, ultimately, do you know who killed Christ? God. God did. It says in Isaiah 53 that it pleased God to crush Jesus for our transgressions. So when Jesus was, off, was dying on the cross, ultimately that was God killing Jesus, punishing Jesus for our sins so that God could forgive us. Do people ever ask you how you justify the Trinity with the death of Christ? Well, yeah, the, I mean, here, here's the way I get that question. If Jesus is God, who was he praying to in the garden? Was he talking to himself? And the answer is, and this gets, again, Jack, Jackie, if God made perfect sense, I would be suspicious somebody wrote the Bible and made it up. But because the Trinity is mind-boggling, that tells me that came from heaven. And the mind-boggling thing is, when Jesus was praying in the garden, he was praying to God the Father, who is distinct from him as God the Son. One God and three persons, but in those three persons, they're distinct. A distinct Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So you got the Son praying to the Father. Well, but aren't they all God? Yes. Okay. <laughs> So what does atonement mean? The atonement means at-one-ment. And, and I'll, I'll explain it this way. Um, here's mankind, here's God, we, we, we are at, at odds. God is holy and we're sinners, so we're at odds. Jesus comes down as the God-man, dies on the cross for our sins and makes us at-one again. So God's uh, forgiven us of our sins so we can be one again. Okay. You talked about men listening to their wives. What about verses that say wives should submit to their husbands? And it does. And so overwhelmingly, Jackie, you are to submit to your husband and because that's the way God made marriage. And at the same time, Abraham listened to your wife. And God was telling Abraham, Sarah is right on this one. You need to get Hagar out of the house. And so um, there are t the fact that a wife is to submit to her husband does not mean that the husband should ignore the advice of the wife. Okay. You always take it into consideration. You said the crowd is normally wrong. So what do most Americans believe today on moral issues? Yeah, that was the devastating Gallup issue that I, that I looked through. 66% Jackie of Americans now believe sex outside of marriage is okay. 60, what, 58% well, I think it was believe gay sex is okay. I mean, this is kind of like this. America did not used to believe like that. And I think we can thank some of our liberal uh, politicians for foisting this on us. But what's most tragic, Jackie, is I can give you the names of Lutheran bishops in a liberal Lutheran denomination, United Church of Christ, the Presbyterian Church USA, the Episcopal Church in America. All of these have pastors, some bishops that are promoting this crud in the church. How That's did it get to the church, though? What, what, how did these leaders yeah. fall so far away yeah. from the truth? You know, I'll tell you of a certain Lutheran bishop I'm thinking of who did a lot of damage in the Lutheran church, evangelical Lutheran church in America, and his father was an evangelical pastor. And if you get to the point where you think the Bible can be wrong on things, well, then where does it stop? And that's where some of this comes in. Some of these uh, bishops and pastors believe that the Bible is wrong on some things. 
and they can tell you what's right, you know. That's an arrogance that, that has caused all this. When the authority of scripture gets thrown out the window, you get what you get and whatever you, I mean, the United Church of Christ is horribly liberal. They have a, a, a motto saying, God is still speaking. You know what I think that means? Well, yeah, he said stuff during Bible days, but he's saying new different things today. Well, what are those new different things? Whatever the United Church of Christ think God is saying. And that's their problem. They put their human opinions over the word of God. Okay. I can't help it. I get It's kind upset. of sad when you think that all of the religions that have just abandoned the oh. scriptural truth the, the congregation, to come up with their own dogma and doctrine and... The, 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 the uh, Congregational Church, United Church of Christ, used to be a wonderful denomination. Jonathan Edwards is one of their forefathers. You don't get more biblical than Jonathan Edwards, but he would weep to see what the UCC has become. So, Pastor Brock, whatever happened to Barabbas? You know, we don't know. Now, you can see the Hollywood movie called Barabbas from the 1960s, and it's kind of a good movie, but it's all made up. It's Hollywood. We don't know what happened to Barabbas after, he, after Jesus died. <laughs> I was going to ask you if you had seen the movie Barabbas and if it was biblically based or not. It's Hollywood. I mean, it's, we don't know that it, I mean, it's all made up. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So whatever happened to Pilate? You know, Does we, we don't know much about that either. There are legends. If you go to uh, Switzerland, there's a Mount Pilatus, and there's a lake at the bottom, and it turns red sometimes, they think, and it looks red, and that's the blood of Pilate because he jumped and killed himself from the top of Mount. Now, none of that is in the Bible. And so, you know, what absolute, how, how Pilate died and that kind of thing is just kind of in the shadows of history, and we don't know a lot of that kind of thing. Okay, so what did you say, though? Should people go see the movie Barabbas well, or not? Well, I mean, it's, I think you can, it's okay to watch it. Just know this never happened. This is Hollywood. Okay, yeah. so it's not a true account. Right. Are there any good movies about Jesus that you would recommend? You people? know, the Mel Gibson's movie from years ago, The Passion is Excellent. My, you know, a movie I don't like much is King of Kings, the 1960s. Uh, film is Jesus kind of comes off as a new age guru in that movie. So you got to be, here, here's what, what makes me nervous when people make a movie about Jesus. They'll throw in stuff that was, I mean, Jesus Christ Superstar, that musical. In the musical, people are trying to get healed and Jesus yells at them, go heal yourself. Well, that's not in the Bible. The, so the movie I like the very best about Jesus is the, what is it, eight hour long Jesus of Nazareth that was done by Franco Zeffirelli in the 70s. Man, is that good. Now again, it's good, it gets a few things wrong, but mostly it gets it right, and it's the most moving and beautiful of all the, all the films. So I, I would get Jesus of Nazareth and watch that. Another great one, and this is new, is The Gospel of John. They made a movie called The Gospel of John a few years ago. That one is real, real literal and real careful to be following scripture. You know, Pastor Brock, sometimes I'm afraid that I fear people more than I fear God. So what can a person do to fear and love God above all else and not care so much about what people think yeah. of you? And you know, I'm a pastor, and Jackie, that's a struggle for pastors because pastors tend to be people pleasers. They want everybody to be happy and to feel good, and sometimes we as pastors compromise where we should not compromise. So all I can tell you is I pray at the beginning of the day, Lord, help me control my mouth, help me not compromise where I shouldn't, 
help me compromise where I should, because there are some, certain things that are, are fine to compromise on. But when it comes to moral issues or biblical issues, help me not compromise. And so I think it's prayer that will help you. You know, we've been talking about the Godhead and everything in that. So I guess I have a question for you. If a person has had a bad relationship, say, with their earthly father, mm -hmm. can this affect their attitude towards how yeah. they feel towards God? Yeah, I think it can. If your father was abusive or distant, you can subconsciously think, well, that's the way God the Father is. And I remember an old pastor saying that one day he was speaking to a group of children and the little boy got tears in his eyes and started crying. And afterwards he went up to the child and said, something wrong? Well, yeah, if, if, if God is like a father, you can keep him. Well, what do you mean? Well, my father beats my mother up. He's drunk half the... And, and, and then the pastors, though, said, okay, and I'm sorry about that, but what would you like a father to be like? Oh, he'd love you. He'd spend time with you. He'd give you things. He wouldn't hurt you. And the pastor said, that's God. So if you've had a bad experience with your earthly father, that's not God the Father. God the Father is opposite that. Okay. Um, I just have one more question. You know, it seems like lately we've had so many more calamities and storms and th things. Is that a loving God showing his wrath or can you? I, my prayer, Jackie, is God do whatever you have to to bring America back to you. And if that's more m militant bombings, God do whatever you have to, to get America back. And that is a loving God trying to save us from ourselves. We want to thank you for being with us today. We want you to see that this is our website. If you look on that website, you will be able to see any of our old shows and find out more about what the pastor study is doing. And we pray that God would be with you this week, granting you his richest blessings until we're together again next time. Thank you for watching the Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write the Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always.